Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today I have Jim Stengel with me, who is the former global marketing officer of Procter & Gamble and a man of many, many talents. Jim, hi, and thank you so much for being part of the show. Hi, Nadine. Good to be with you. I'm so excited that you're with me, actually. I've been waiting to talk to you all day and actually waiting to talk to you for weeks now because I have so much to ask you. But why don't we start with you sharing a little bit about what you're up to now? Well, I would like to be playing more tennis, especially with the open on right now. You know, I was at Procter & Gamble for 25 years. I left 10 years ago. It's been a long time. I really wanted to have much more of a portfolio approach to my life with my own purpose at the center of that. And I love the thought of a portfolio. And, you know, when I left P&G, I had lots of interesting offers, but I just didn't want to be in one vertical. You know, I really wanted to to teach. I wanted to write. I wanted to think. I wanted to invest. I wanted to advise. I wanted to consult to keep my hands in the messiness of business. So, and I've stayed pretty true to that. So I have a small firm and it's a firm of people who share the same values. We're all friends and we're all really, really uh, jazzed about helping people find their purpose and activate it. So that's what we do in my little firm, and that keeps us in the beauty and messiness of everyday business. I've written two books in the last 10 years, and I really love that, and I miss not doing it now, so I have to move on to my third project. I taught at UCLA for five years. I'm now at Northwestern at Kellogg. I'm an adjunct there. I do a lot of exec ed and program development. I advise several small companies, startups, if you will, and a venture capital firm. And I run a lot of training and development programs with partners like Deloitte and the Can Lion Festival, as well as within companies. So, and I'm a husband and a dad, most important of all. It's a beautiful life. What can I say? Wow. I'm so impressed. And uh, I can't wait to dig into every one of those things. But, you know, the first thing that obviously comes to mind is how the heck do you manage it all? That's amazing. Well, if it's all, you know, if you ask my wife, she would say I'm working, if you can believe this, more hours than I did as 
chief marketing officer at P&G, I'm less tired, more energized, slightly more interesting, just because <laughs> I'm spending nearly 100% of my time on things that I absolutely love. So, and of course I love P&G, I had a great career, but in any large enterprise, you know, you're not spending 100% of your time on your passions. So I sort of wanted to build my life around that and build a business model around that. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. So it never feels like it's a boring day or a slow day or a day I'm, I'm dreading. It's just filled with learning, development, impact. I mean, there's nothing sweeter than helping people find their purpose and bring it to life and make a difference in the lives of people they serve and their employees and partners. That's what I love. And that's what my team loves. Wow. Okay. So I, I totally agree with you and I'm, I'm so impressed. Uh, definitely a role model, but you've been a role model your whole career. And I hesitate to go there, but I definitely want to learn a little bit more about what it was like at Procter & Gamble because what a huge, huge role. And I love hearing you say how much you enjoy what you're doing now, but let's talk about P&G for just a little bit because you were there, like you said, 25 years and the numbers are staggering. And correct me if I get any of this wrong, but mm-hmm. you were overseeing an advertising budget of $8 billion. Is that right? At least. At least. Okay. That number is insane. And you had 7,000 people that you had organizational responsibility for? Correct. That's bigger than a lot of companies. Okay. And right before you left, you won the Advertiser of the Year Award at Con, right? Yep. Okay. Two weeks before I stepped down. That's correct. Two, <laughs> leaving from the red carpet. I love it. Uh, <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your time there and what you, know, what you liked the most and, and some of the challenges you took on. Well, you know, I started at P&G in the 80s. And P&G at that time was, if you wanted to be in, in marketing and brand building, in advertising, you know, it was, it was just the place to be. It was best reputation, strongest results a great leadership development company. And for all the, I was in publishing before that, I was on the creative side. So I wanted to shift into something where I still was in a creative field, but had more accountability for a business. So I went to P&G, moved to Cincinnati. My wife's a San Diego and I grew up near Philadelphia. We had no family there, moved and thought we'd stay for, you know, three years, get the brand manager stamp and then leave. So that was sort of our plan. So I never thought I would stay five or six years, let alone 25. But I sort of fell in love with the place, honestly. And it starts with the people and the purpose. There were so many incredible role models. The company had a very a specialness to it. One of my, my boss, when I worked in Eastern Europe, a guy named Herbert Schmitz, he said the greatest risk of this company is losing its specialness. And we all are responsible for keeping it special. So I had so many good bosses. I had so many great experiences. And I, I always felt I was developing. I always felt I was moving. And obviously, p and is an incredible laboratory of business and creativity, you know, with more than 200 brands in 180 countries, more than 100,000 people, the numbers you just talked about in terms of budgets. So it was a great place to learn so much. So it was, um, it was a great run. And, um, and by the way, I never set out to be chief marketing officer or global marketing officer either. In fact, I didn't want that job. When the CEO at the time, A.G. Laffley, called me to talk about that, and there was a bit of a movement in the company to nominate me. A lot of people thought I was what the company needed at that time. 
And I went to see him and I said, why would I want to be a corporate officer? Why would I want to be overhead? You know, I want to, I like to run businesses. I like to build brands. I like to be with people and teams doing something amazing. But that meeting turned out to be like a two hour discussion. I asked him if I could think about it overnight and I went home and just sort of my imagination got going and I realized the power you can have in a horizontal kind of job like that to impact a culture and an enterprise. So I jotted out a plan of what I would do if I got the job. And then I went back to see him and he offered me the job on the spot. This was back in April and it wasn't announced until August. And I was uh, really pumped up by it after I thought about it. And again, thought I would do that for two or three years and go back into line business, but it turned out to be seven because we had a lot of work to do. And when I did what I thought I should do and it was time to move on, that's what I did. And the winning the award at Cannes was a good signal that it's time to move on. Wow. Okay. That is, that whole story gave me goosebumps. There's so much in there I want to ask you about. Uh, I think the lesson is to be, you know, to be open to, I mean, we should all plan, but certainly to be open to serendipity and to be open to how you're feeling and what's happening. The worst mistake so many of us make is to stay in a plan when we're not following our intuition and our heart. And I think I generally have done that. We all make mistakes and take interesting turns, but I think I've tried to follow my heart and be in the moment. Yeah. And speaking of that, you know, being in the moment, you said that why would you want to be corporate and overhead and then get you turn that around and were able to come with a perspective on how you could enable the organization as a whole. Help me understand, like, what were some of the things that became light bulbs for you? Like, this is what I can do. Well, you know, the discussion I had with with AG and also John Pepper, who was CEO and chairman before AG and a, and a good friend, still is a good friend, was, you know, we all joined this company to be with the best brand building company in the world. And we're not doing that now. So we have to return to a modern version of being the greatest brand building company in the world. And I got to thinking, and they, and they said, and you're, you're a person who has delivered results over your career. You love building brands. You love working with partners and agencies. You build great organizations. You enjoy training. You're a teacher at heart. So we think you're the right person for that. And kind of the light bulb that clicked to me was, that is what I'm strong at. So go to a job that leverages your strengths. And I got out of the paradigm that I had to run a business. Mm. So I became part of the C-suite, the leadership team, you know, the chief HR officer, CFO, CTO, the whole group. And we were, we were really all part of a rebirth of the company. Back around 99, 2000, if you remember, was we lost a lot of our market cap. Our CEO at the time was fired. We had lost our confidence. We didn't know what was important anymore. So to be part of a team that changed that arc and to change a culture for the better, starting with the consumer, by the way, and working backwards, what purpose do we have in the lives of the consumers? So the light bulb was, this will be a unique time in, our, in the history of this iconic company. And you can be part of the team that changes the arc. And that's what that idea of being the best marketing company in the world was our rallying cry. In fact, the first, when I was announced for the job, I asked the entire marketing community, all 7,000, to jump on a webcast with me the next morning. And I wanted to talk to them about, you know, what I felt, what I've learned 
about the company since I was asked to be in this role a few months ago, you know, quietly. And some of the thoughts and what I said to them, I need your help. I need your help. What, what does it look like to be the best marketing company in the world? What well, looks like you've got to benchmark yourself against not just Unilever and SC Johnson and Colgate, but against Apple and Nike. And you have, we have to be faster and more creative and more innovative. And we have to be clear about what's important and what's valued. And then and so many people came forward to say they want to help. So I kind of activated a community around the world at our, at, inside the company and also at our partners. And I just had to manage the energy. That was the job. Ooh, I like that. Manage the energy. You know, okay. So again, you said like eight things I want to go into, but let me ask you the first thing that came to mind. You described taking on this role and it reminded me of a number of conversations that I've had already with some of the CMOs that have been on the show about at what point do you accept that you are no longer just the functional expert, but as CMO, you're truly the leader of the organization and the culture in a lot of ways. And how can you step into that role? Like what are some of the skill sets that you really need to lean into or develop further that leans less on your functional expertise? Yeah. You know, I, I was just on a call with a bunch of people at the Kellogg school and there were some academics and some practitioners on the call. And it was sort of about what has changed and what's the CMO of the future. And I deeply feel, and so many of my colleagues do as well, that the people who would thrive as, as leaders of marketing or brand will be tremendous organizational leaders. So that means strong at strategy, strong at engagement, strong at communication, strong at attracting talent, strong on purpose, and strong at working in the ecosystem of the business model and the company. So all the characteristics of being great at advertising and communication and communication planning and social media, all that, yeah, that's some of that is still important, but we need to, you know, there was just, you know, the latest IBM study was just released, the 19th edition of the thousands of interviews they do in the C-suite, including many, many with CMOs. And CEOs came out of that saying there are two things that are most instru instrumental to their success. One is a willingness to experiment, and the second is supporting empowered employees. So if you cascade that into the marketing function, supporting, you know, empowered employees and being agile and experimenting and piloting and being innovative, that's where CMOs are going to excel in, in the future. The great ones are going to do that. And look at Facebook's recent appointment of Antonio Lucio. He embodies those principles. So I think they made a great choice. Yeah. Okay. So Antonio, obviously one of my mentors and uh, I, I'm so you do, excited. You do, one of mine, a great friend and mentor and colleague for many years. Oh God. I mean, how does he not just shape your thinking? It's crazy. And Facebook is very, very lucky and smart to have made that move. Uh, I can't you. wait to see what he does. Me too. So let's talk about those two things, a willingness to experiment and the only way you can actually succeed is by empowering the employees, which happen to be two really important topics that keep coming up uh, whenever we talk about, quote, culture. And I'd love to talk to you about culture and purpose and how those things work together. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, there, I don't know how you build a culture without a purpose. And great cultures are defined by their purpose and how they bring it to life every day. The beautiful thing about our industry is purpose is, I think, 
it's the new business model, right? And you, I, you're hard pressed to find a company that isn't trying desperately to define the impact they're going to make with their customers, the world, and then bring it to life with their people. And that is, that is so fundamental. It's so easy in concept to say that, but to do that every day in daily behaviors of tens of thousands of people is really complicated. So they're, to me, they are one in the same purpose and culture. In my experience, if your culture is not anchored in purpose, it gets very distracted. And great leaders keep an organization extremely focused on their purpose. That's what they talk about. That's what they tell stories about. That's what they ask questions about. So the building it into daily behavior and the rituals and processes and KPIs of a business, we're still in the second inning on that one. And, you know, Larry Fink's famous shareholder letter of last January about how they're going to tilt their investments to companies with a strong purpose. That's another, you know, milestone for us on this journey. But we still have so much to do in terms of what work we value, how we hire, and especially what we reward. I think we have some lots of innovation to do in the areas of measurement and KPIs and reward structures. That's still ahead of us. Yeah, absolutely. So what would be your consultation for companies who are beginning this path and how does this all come together? Two things I would share there. Every company started for a reason. Every company had a founder and every company's had a path since the founder that's had highs and lows. So something that is, again, so fundamental, but often we don't take the time to do this. Joey Ryman, a good friend of mine, who's also a real purpose advocate, talks about the fruit is in the roots. And uh, go back to the founding idea of the company, the founder, and really, really draw inspiration from the past. So that's the first thing to do. And there are so many, there are so many ideas in that. And the second thing is, you know, it gets back to your employees. No one cares more about the company than the people who work there. So tap into them. They have so much care, love, concern. And even in companies that are distressed, people there desperately, whether they say this explicitly or it's implicit, they want to be part of a turnaround. They want to be part of a positive story. So tap into that and do, you know, we worked with a, an Italian company a few years ago. The CEO really wanted, they made a lot of acquisitions. The CEO wanted to galvanize the company around one sense of purpose, one common set of beliefs and values. So we went around to the sites of this company and had very emotional, deep interviews with, you know, like 120 people all captured on video. So all the answers were in there. It's just a matter of synthesizing it, pulling it out, and then reframing kind of the work that we did as a business to, to be more centered and more inspired and more driven by the purpose. Once you articulate your purpose, then is generally, you know, there's a process to do that. And we're not the only people who do it, but you have to be able to internalize the purpose yourself. Every employee needs to do that. And you can't blow by that. We worked with so many companies that didn't take the time to think about what's this purpose mean for me? How do I talk about it? Not just how, how does a CEO or CMO talk about it. How do I talk about it? And what does it mean for my work and my team? So you have to internalize it. You have to inspire it in others in your own way. You know, one leader that inspires me is Susan Johnson at SunTrust Bank. I think she's a remarkable leader 
great personal story. She was a computer engineer. She started at Apple years ago. Well, she's now CMO of a really hot, interesting bank. And I brought her to my class at the Cannes Festival this year to tell her story to other CMOs. You know, they said their, their purpose was to help people with their financial confidence. Well, lo and behold, they found out that two-thirds of their own people didn't have financial confidence. SunTrust employees. So they went about getting to every single employee to give them a strategy to improve their financial health and improve their financial confidence. And then they went out to customers. And, and they have KPIs that go with that and, and significant events, symbolic events. You know, so it's a beautiful story. She's a very inspiring leader. And here's one CMO who's working totally outside the box in terms of marketing capabilities and the traditional definition of marketing. Oh, gosh, Jim, I could keep talking to you about purpose all day long. Um, you too. Let's keep going. I know. I have so, I was, you make my mind. Have there been any three-hour podcasts? Can we try that? We, I, I could do it with you for sure. I mean, everything you say leads to like 10 ideas in my head, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still think about this tonight when after this is over, and, I'm gonna, and I promise I won't call you in the middle of the night and be like, Jim, what about this? Um, but, okay, so you've just described a process that you could take to really understand what your employees think of your brand and your company and then mm-hmm. what you aim to be. What are some of the next steps you would do then? Well, if, if someone reaches out to me or anyone on my team or any of my friends in the industry and says, I want to take a purpose journey, the first question is, why? Good question. Yeah. What, what, why, why is this important for you? What's the, what's the case for change? Is this something that you, know, you read a book and you're interested in? Fine. But tell me, if you're in front of a large group of your employees, why you're on this journey. Why, why you're making this important, why it's a priority. And again, we, we find a lot of people skip over that. You know, what is the case for change? Is it dramatic enough and exciting enough that people want to join it? And if you don't have that, then the effort will not be sustained. And it has to be rooted in the business somehow. It has to be rooted in how customers are feeling or how employees are feeling or, or something that people can hold on. If, you know, if it's not rooted in the business, it won't work. It won't be sustainable. So, you know, I think Larry Fink really believes that investing in purpose-driven companies will provide higher returns over time. I mean, I think he's, you know, he has a, a big heart and I think he feels like that's right for the world, but that's not what's driving it at the end of the day. So, so anyway, it has to start with that. What's the case for change? And then I think you have to have a very inclusive social process to, I mean, there are two steps, right? You need to develop or refine or rediscover the purpose for the company, which, you know, is, is just not a phrase that is on a wall. It's a, it needs to be something you arrive at through a lot of uh, chatting discussions and so on. It, so it's, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the first step. And the second one is you have to activate it. It, and you can't blow by those two steps. And when, when I and when I say activation, it's not a marketing job. It's not a functional job. It's a company job. Purpose is a company idea. It's not a marketing idea. It's not a philanthropic idea. It's a company idea. Yeah, I love that. <clears throat> Activate your purpose. I think we just came up with the uh, name of your podcast, by the way. I love it. Because <laughs> this is all about what it is and how we're going to activate it. And actually, to the point on the financial gains, right? I, I love what you said about 
you know, the investment in companies that are purpose-driven because I was watching one of your videos in, I'm not sure when this report came out, but it was a, a stat that you quoted that brands who activate their purpose outperform the S&P 500 by 400% and grow three times faster than their competition. Do you think that number's still true or is it even bigger now? Actually, that number came out of the first book I did, and that's a study I did with Miller Brown Optimer. There's been a lot of research done since I did that research you know, seven, eight years ago. Uh, many of the brands that were in that group that I studied are, of course, some fall off, as they always do. Uh, it's not perfect, but 80% or so of them have only accelerated. So I think it's more true than ever because the customer, the consumer, people want this. They want to get behind a business or brand that shares what they value. I think that's in a way always been true. I just think it's magnified now because of the transparency of the lives in which we lead. So I think this is only going to be ever more important. And the way you get competitive advantage in this is through activation, consistency, and your people, mm -hmm. their daily behavior. That's the new area of competitive advantage. I could not agree with you more. I just want to, you know, run up and down the hall saying, amen, hallelujah, whatever words people use to say, yes, agreed. Um, that's what I'm saying right now. You know, so I just put out this article yesterday and it had a couple of, I had more than a couple, I had like 12 different guest quotes and everybody is agreeing uh, with you, Jim, you mm -hmm. know, and, and I think it's so important that we focus inside first and I, I even said a quote from one of the culture experts out there, Stan Slep. You can't sell it outside if you can't sell it inside. So I want to come back to this notion around the consumer. Like, how do you go about then connecting all the dots? Uh, because a CMO's job is equally difficult on the inside as it is on the outside. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more with the inside comment. Uh, I mean, it's an example I used with Susan at SunTrust Bank. You know, it has to be authentic. And the Italian company, they took so much time to get their employees feedback, thoughts and feelings, reactions, so that when they, you know, quote, launched it, it was already running. So I, I couldn't agree more with that. And so the CMO's job, and actually I think the whole senior team's job, the CEO's job, and the CEO, by the way, has to be on the same page, or it's also going to be, it's going to, it's going to hit a wall. But, you know, I think it's about just about how we think about our work. It's, I've seen so many leaders reboot how they spend their time once they have this awakening. So they're more focused on what they do and they're, they, they move more into a leadership versus an operator mentality. And obviously they're both important, but when you're the CEO of a large enterprise, that's aspiring to make a difference with its customers through purpose. You've got to be a leader. You've got to, you know, inspire others to innovate, to do, to do anything that is possible to make their customers' lives more delightful, more simple, less friction, happier. So that has to start inside. And then the way you talk about it with consumers, customers, I mean, we have so many ways to do that now. Storytelling is a good buzzword in our industry, but it's real. I can't tell you how many people are working to build their capability to be better storytellers because people are inspired by stories. They have been for thousands of years. We change behavior because of stories. We, our emotions are triggered because of stories. So I think there are so many brands trying to do this and it's all real positive. And we have so many ways to tell stories now and so many 
different channels. So I think storytelling, purpose, people, leadership, these are the new areas of competency for CMOs. Absolutely. And if I just may humbly add one more that I think is really important is authenticity through all. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. So, okay. So Jim, I would love to talk to you for three more hours. Um, And I'm looking at the time and I'm like, oh shoot, we're pretty much at the end of our time. And I have so many more questions. So I'm going to just, I'm going to ask you a couple more because I just can't let you go. I'll be faster in my responses. How about that? No, no, please. I'm, I'm eating this all up. This is great. What was some of the advice you got along the way that really stood out to you and that you've taken to heart? Oh gosh. I think, Certainly a strong focus on purpose through that first. I've gotten that from so many other leaders. I think to encouragement to lead change. Your job as a leader is to lead change and to be a great, you know, to be a communicator. We tend not to communicate as much as we need to. You know, I run a program at the Cannes Festival for young people as well as CMOs. The thing the young people always say about their senior leaders is they don't communicate. Mm Mm-hmm. And I got that sort of advice from so many great PNG leaders and leaders since then that have inspired me. And, and it's, it's true to this day. Okay. Wow. Okay. So I have to share something with you that we are getting ready to launch a new series called Marketing Innovators, where we are featuring incredible rock star thinkers that have been nominated by their CMOs to be featured because of the amazing work that they're doing. And we asked them all, what thing do you need from your CMO to be successful? And we're seeing a real trend here. And I just would love your, your gut reaction. Trust. Yeah, trust. And that begins with communication, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Can't you can't trust if you're not communicating. And you, don't, you can't have breakthrough work if you're not communicating. You just can. I, I brought in two teams uh, to visit some CMOs, one from the State Street that did the Fearless Girl on Wall Street, which is amazing, and the Boost Mobile who turned their stores into voting areas. And, you know, the teams that did those remarkable efforts that changed the arc of those two companies trusted each other so deeply. And their key learning from how they were working together was the level of trust they had. I love that. You can't have great business without trust. You just can't. I love that. And you're absolutely right. It's all in how you communicate because communicate can break down trust immediately, right? Yeah. Okay. This is so, oh my gosh, I would love to keep going. Okay. I can't. Okay. I've got another question for you. What rule needs to be broken so that we can make some real progress? Or what rule did you break along the way that allowed you to make more progress? I think you have to break the rule of the accepted paradigm of marketing and the CMO. You have to create paradigm. If I had been appointed PNG CMO and said, you know, I'm going to come in here and we're going to just be uh, the best advertisers in the world because that was what made us famous. You know, I would have failed. So listen, learn, talk to peers, colleagues, employees, people who held your job previously, CEOs who have been in the company previously and build your job around that. Do not accept a paradigm or how the people before you had seen their role. Okay. With that, what happens and what would you suggest for a CMO who's either taking on a role or in a role where they don't believe they have the full support of their CEO and they want to impact things like culture or purpose? What, what would be your first suggestion that they do to not stay in that paradigm of this is just the way it is? Well, I would understand the CEO better. Most CEOs are not stupid. They're in the job for a reason. And so 
there is something going going on with that CEO that needs to be listened to. So I would start with that. And then I would also talk to people who the CEO trusts. Mm. And, and I would listen and learn, synthesize it, and have a heart-to-heart with the CEO. And it has to start there. Okay, good advice. I love it. And then my last question, Jim. If you weren't doing what you're doing today, and it sounds like you're doing everything you love to do, so this is a tough question. Say you weren't doing any of those things. And money were no object, talent were no object. What would you be doing? Well, I think I would split my time. But if not, and talent's no object, so I can, I can just create any talent I want. Yeah, you can have any superpower in the world that you want. You can do anything you want. I think I would love to, I would love to be a musician. And I would love to be an artist in a way. I'd love to be on stage, screen, act, direct, play music, dance. I don't have any of those talents, although I appreciate <laughs> So that's what I would do. And I would do that half the year. And then the other half of the year, I would be a professional tennis player. I love that. Okay. Yeah. So you and Chris Capicella from Microsoft need to throw a huge party with dancing, singing, karaoke, and have a tennis match because he's a tennis fan too. Oh, I, I love it. Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. And I, I think what, what better live event would that be? I'll well, go. That'll be and, fun. And at the Cannes Festival last year, I had a treat. I played tennis with Anna Ivanovic you know, who's the Serbian, uh, she just retired. And uh, she was gracious enough to go on the tennis court during a break at the Cannes Festival. So that was a treat. Oh, <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Do you and, when, when, and at P&G, when we worked, worked with Roger Federer, he'd come into Cincinnati for the big tournament once a year, and we'd have him over for dinner a couple times. And, you know, he's an inspiring person. He's so good at what he does. And he's such a great human being. There's a lot to learn from how that, that person lives his life. Wow. Okay, well, if you have any friends that know Boris Becker, I'm sure Chris would love to meet him. By the way, that's his idol. So We have lots of next steps coming out of this webcast. <laughs> All the fun stuff. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, Jim, thank you so much for being with me today. I've learned so much, and I'm so inspired. I love what you do, and uh, I wish I could like replicate you to, so so many people can access your great insights. Nadine, it was a wonderful interview. Thank you. Thank you. All right, have a good day, Jim. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.